Welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about creativity, magic, tarot, lunar living, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I am so happy you are here today. Hi, everyone. I am so happy to be here with all of you today because there's a great episode that you are about to hear. And I'm not just saying that because I am the host of this podcast. I'm saying this because I got the opportunity to speak with one of my favorite astrologers, Renee Sills of Embodied Astrology. You are probably a huge admirer of Renee and Renee's work. If you are not already acquainted with Renee, you can check out the show notes, links, and also subscribe to Renee's podcast, which is called Embodied Astrology. So this episode is pretty long. We get into just really a smidge of the astrology of 2021, like literally some cinnamon sprinkling on the uh, honey cake that is 2021. Y'all can probably sense a little bit of sarcasm in my voice because As we all know, next year is going to be intense, but we're going to make it through. So we talk about the astro and we get to hear a lot about Renee's practice. And I have been such an admirer of Renee for probably years. Uh, I love Renee's approach. I love Renee's voice so much so that I felt called to invite Renee to provide an astrological overview of 2021 for the Many Moons Lunar Planner. So you can order one of those if you haven't already ordered. It has a numerological and tarot overview by myself. It has an astrological overview from Renee. Renee also contributed the details of the astrology. I hired Renee to give me all the dates so we know when Venus enters Leo and we know when Mars is not retrograde because Mars will not be retrograde for 2021, uh, but Mercury will and there'll be other planets. So all of the those, uh, those giddy events are courtesy of Renee. And one of the reasons why Well, there's like 9 million reasons why I love Renee, and you will also love Renee if you have not already been acquainted with Renee after this uh, interview, you will also love Renee. One thing that I really love is Renee's transparency in her business and her clarity and integrity with what she does with finances. and. She has 
a lot of different ways that she does that. She offers up a ton of free content. She gives 15 to 20% of her income to Black and Indigenous-led grassroots organizations. And I know that when Renee has workshops, she has these like really fantastic I believe monthly, maybe even sometimes twice a month workshops, she will give as much as 50% to local organizations in her town of Portland and also other organizations, organizations that are committed to equity and liberation and justice for all. So I think that's just really a beautiful practice that she has incorporated and is also really transparent about. And so we get into that because this is a longer episode. I'm not going to do card of the week. I'm not going to do lunar check-in. Y'all already know what's going on. (laughs) I just want everyone to stay grounded and in love with yourself and to be really careful about the pandemic and to let those loved ones in your life know uh, about how they can stay safe and how they can take good care because we are headed into a spike. We are headed into a pretty long winter. So that's my only, that's my tarot card update. That's my lunar card update. That's what I've got for you this week because I know you're going to be really well nourished by all of Renee's amazing energy and brilliant mind. Hello, Renee. How are you doing today? Hey, Sarah. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm really well. It, I'm. I could not be more thrilled to have you on today. You know this. You're one of my favorite voices and thinkers. Period. Not just like in the astrological world, but just period. I always find so much affirmation and also food for thought in everything you share. And everything you share is so holistic and connected. And I love the way that you weave um, like the micro and the macro and the mystical and the practical and the embodied. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about that uh, to start off. So I would love it if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about your practice and your business and um, all of that wonderful stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. My name is Renee Sills, and I host the podcast Embodied Astrology, which has taken various forms over the last six years, Um, but it includes audio horoscopes and guest episodes and astrological ramblings. Um, I have a long background in somatic practice and training. Um, I've been involved with some kind of somatic theory, movement exploration, body work since I was 11. And it has been a continuous point of study for me. And my mom was an astrologer and a therapist, as well as a body worker and an energy worker. So these are languages that I've grown up with and have felt really nurtured by in some pretty important ways. I've been working with astrology for 
uh, about, let's see, 15, 16 years now, um, in a pretty deep study, mostly with myself. And in the last six years, seven years, um, more as a, a professional, whenever I say professional, I think of air quotes, <laughs> because yeah, what does that mean? But I've been in more of a place of working as an um, advisor and consultant and doing chart readings and then offering the Embodied Astrology podcast um, for that amount of time. And I feel a lot of intersection between somatic work and embodied praxis and astrology. Astrology and medicine have the same roots. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious in how we in our human bodies and often seemingly individual experiences are really a reflection of a greater being that's around us and um, bigger than us and encompassing us. And the axiom that one often hears with astrology as above, so below, or, um, you know, as without, so within is, um, feels really important to me that we can understand our place in the world you know, by understanding our place in the world, really literally. So yeah, and along with somatic work and astrology, I um, have an art practice that's more of of my own um, art practice, not so much for public consumption, but I love creative process and um, think about astrology and body work as, as art practices as well. That's one thing I wanted to speak with you about, gentle listeners listening. Renee gave me a reading a while ago, and I remember like in it, I mean, this has sort of been my my kind of lifelong, not like this is not news to anyone. I've always, I've had a lot of tension with running a business because I identify primarily as an artist. And there's capitalism and business and artistry and or magic, perhaps they make strange bedfellows. It's been sort of an ongoing kind of site of exploration and tension and, and ambivalence for myself. And I remember you said, well, why don't you think of your business as your art form? And I was wondering if you think of your business as one of your artistic practices. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a master's degree in um, social practice, and there's a lot to be said about that field and all, all kinds of um, you know ways to think about social practice. But for me, I think one of the big reasons why I went into that program, why I'm interested in social practice is that I think art happens in relationship and that whether or not we're calling something art, we can come in with the intention of art, which for me means um, process. And it also means um, elevating, not necessarily of beauty, but of something that uh, we long for in the world. You know, this kind of longing that so many artists feel to explore something or to feel something or to manifest something in objective form that then can be looked at and touched and played with. For me, <clears throat> working in business feels, first of all, not like a choice. I've never been a person that can um, work for other people. I can work with other people, but it became very apparent to me very early on that I needed to do work that I was defining for myself. And I needed to figure out how to make an income from that. And like you said, being in business feels a lot of times like the antithesis to art or a spiritual practice because of what capitalism does 
to us and um, what it asks of us in order to, you know, make money and survive in this world. Um, so I've been really interested in how business can be a form of art. And that includes, for me, working creatively with money, with inflow and outflow and thinking about uh, money as a medium, as a, uh, a means for me to engage with collective energy, but also to be creative in the world and to direct energy intentionally. I work really intentionally with collaboration. And I think a lot of um, what I received from learning about and studying social practice was a critical analysis of how power works with groups and that when we're in places of power, such as an artist, you know, that has a vision or a person that owns a business or, you know, an employer, that there needs to be um, some kind of disruptive process that happens within that relationship um, that can allow for more of a of an equal standing between participating people for true, you know, collaboration and um, co-creation. So I'm really interested in in that with people I collaborate with. And then as a person that creates content that, you know, speaks to the esoteric and the, the metaphysical experience, the spiritual experience, I really think of what I do as art practice, you know, just like a, a painter or a sculptor might create an object that people can view and feel moved by. I also think of horoscopes as objects that people can engage with and feel moved by. And I think that there's um, a big part of my art practice is in, yeah, creating some kind of, of resonance within myself, communing with some kind of resonance in myself, and then finding ways to translate and emit and share that resonance um, and offer it uh, with the total creative expectation that that resonance is going to change, right? Like, I don't have a, a strong, you know, fixed desire on what happens to individuals when they listen to a horoscope. I just know that there is the potential that they'll listen and feel something and feel moved by something. And that will create some kind of, of resonance for them in their lives. And it feels like um, when I imagine that, I, I imagine how like watercolor spreads or something, you know, like this kind of uh, disseminating and and combining and blending of um, texture and color and yeah <laughs> yeah as you're speaking I'm really imagining or well I'm feeling this underscore of the archetype of the hero font which is that we commune with the divine and then we pass that transmission or that divinity on not always, but often without any expectation. Um, it's sort of like the receiving, the giving is the receiving, the receiving is the giving. And I feel like when we are engaging with the divine or the esoteric or really anything that exists outside of capitalism, so to speak, meaning things where it is more slippery to put worth on it or put a price tag or contain it. I would say, I would say things outside of capitalism are sort of things that exist without a rational containment in a way. Uh, and we could talk more about that, but I think that, um, having like, it sounds like you have a very healthy, probably nurtured relationship with not feeling 
this intense expectation or ownership around what you are transmuting and transmitting. Yeah. Um, I think that that what you're saying, this like not feeling an intense expectation or ownership is also part of my art. And like what I would call as maybe my, you know, one aspect of, of my life performance when I think about, you know, performing this identity of, of Renee, because certainly growing up in capitalism and also having roles in my life, like I was a, a yoga and movement teacher and an anatomy teacher for a long time, and I work as an advisor. And so I've definitely had roles where I have experienced a strong attachment to an outcome and also have experienced a competitiveness within myself because I work in a field, right? And teachers are trying to make their livelihoods. And as much as we might not want to, like there is competition that everybody has been nurtured by as well in the state of capitalism. Um, so I think for me, coming to a place where I can work with the financial models that I work with and work with really consistent intentionality around generosity and non-expectation is a practice. It doesn't feel all the times natural or easy, um, but it does feel very much like a, a part of the art that I want to be creating just in my life. Yes. I wanted to speak on, I, I would love for you to share a little bit because you really clearly work with a sliding scale model, I know, in some of your business and your practice. So I was hoping you could sort of share about how that came to be and how it's working and if you've learned anything from it and really anything you wanted to discuss around sliding scale models and exchanges in your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at this point, um, I mean, certain elements are still getting refined because technology is getting refined right now. And I think especially since the pandemic, there's been more need for flexible um, commerce technologies, like uh, name your price, pay what you can kind of, of things. And platforms like Patreon or DonorBox, which I use, are um, kind of recent. So I feel like I haven't quite gotten to the ultimate vision that I have for my business, but it's well on the way. And at this point, um, everything that I do is either fully by donation or sliding scale. And um, the difference between them is that a sliding scale has the one that I use right now currently has like a tier to it. So there are different um, access points that people can enter with. Um, I also always have options for scholarship um, and barter as well as pay it forward, which is, an, which is an option that I really enjoy, especially because it gives me the opportunity to work with people who I just love, you know, like I, I so strongly resonate with the work that they're doing in the world. And I know that they're also doing generosity work and I know that they can give to the people that they're set up to give to, right? And so if I can give to them, I just um, totally trust and, and feel immediately that that energy comes back. So I've been working with sliding scale and donation base um, for about four or five years now in various forms. It started when I was running a yoga teacher training um, that had a focus on accessibility and social justice. And obviously with that focus, uh, we had to be financially accessible and we had to be thinking about money critically um, within a, a kind of decolonizing or anti-settler, anti-racist framework. 
Um, so that's when I started experimenting with different forms of sliding scale and learning a lot, you know, like I think as a white person, like working with money is one of the ways that we're shown that we can practice being allies, you know, like there's a, there's a strong tradition around philanthropy and there's also a strong tradition around expectations, you know, like. I knew, yeah, you're like saying it so nicely. It's a policing, you know, and yes. so a lot of, a lot of what I'd seen in my experience of watching, you know, white people and white business owners try and work more in a more anti-capitalist way with money was that they were still being totally capitalist, totally paternalistic, um, offering money with a lot of conditions Strings. around it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and when I started, I did too. Like I was replicating what I'd seen. I was doing the thing that I uh, thought one should do by offering, you know, certain kinds of scholarships or something like that. But really quickly, you know, through honestly, you know, creating harm with what I was doing, learned that I was creating harm and and have been in a pretty deep process of of trying to figure out how to be in integrity with with money since then and that that longing for me is one of the reasons why um not the only reason but one of the reasons why my former business partner and I decided to stop offering the training that we were offering to um for me to to really think about you know as a self-employed person that I don't want to be a business owner where I'm in a position of power over other people. You know, I love what I do and I feel really passionate and obsessed by it. And so I want to be able to work for myself, but I want to feel free in how I'm working. And with embodied astrology as a business structure in the last couple of years, um, it has started to sustain itself, meaning me <laughs> primarily, um, through a donation-based subscription, um, which is uh, different a little bit than what Patreon offers, which is tiered subscriptions. So you get different things for different amounts. Um, for me, it has been feeling like equating a dollar amount with anything at all uh, feels bad. You know, like like when it comes to when it comes to how I want to be working and. What it what happens for me is that, you know, I can think about, oh, I'm offering X, Y, and Z, and this takes five hours of my time, and that takes 15 hours of my time. Oh, I should charge more for the 15 hours of my time. I get so much advice from so many people telling me to charge more for what I'm doing and to value it more. But what happens for me is honestly, the minute that I put a price tag on something, I value it less. And it feels like it um, gets boxed in by the idea of value as something that can be defined by a dollar amount. Um, it feels like it sets up an expectation, uh, a, a, a consumer expectation with people who come into relationship with me, you know, that they are going to purchase something, they're going to have an expectation, they're going to want to get their money's worth. And for me personally, the feeling of having basically open access to the work that I do is a feeling of trust in my own joy, first of all, that like this is something that I love doing and I'm going to do it and I'm going to offer it into the world and recognizing that there's enough interest and support that I can offer it and I can offer it freely without trying to get something for it has been 
incredibly liberating for me. It's really um, taught me to to trust my path, to trust, you know, you, you were talking about working with the divine. And I feel like any of us who are working with the divine, like we are channels, we're instruments. And this practice helps me to trust the strength and integrity of my instrument, you know, and when I get hung up on price points, I don't trust it. And I'm, you know, I, I get, I get fixated on volume. Are enough people going to buy it? Are the right people going to buy it? I get, I get really stressed out about access, you know, like, oh, it's, it's at this price point, which means that I'm only going to be able to offer, you know, to offer and work with people who can access that price point. And, and then I get into a competition thing, you know, and I start looking at who else is doing what and what they're charging for it and da, da, da. And honestly, I just want to not deal with any of that. Yeah. I mean, hello. Yeah. Well, I have a couple things I just want to respond to. One is I bet, uh, and again, we'll find out if you will answer me honestly, I bet that when you sort of like sunk into that awareness uh, around what was happening for you mentally and somatically around dollars and and exact numbers and all that stuff and just decided to offer things up freely or set up a structure in which, uh, you know, you were offering things freely. I bet you probably made more money. Yep. All of that sort of blocking energy Mm -hmm. or like worrisome energy or pushing energy Mm -hmm. probably got dissipated, you know, Mm -hmm. and that probably took up space in your mind and in your body and in your offerings. Right. Well, I mean, I did, I should also say that, you know, when I was starting embodied astrology in this particular business structure, I had, I had outside income. I was finishing graduate school. I had student loans and, um, you know, I'm also a person that that has familial support that is uh, like directly linked to white supremacy and, you know, colonizer money. And so it, it, it has been possible for me to develop a business model that's based in this kind of free giving. Um, and I think that's important to acknowledge. And yeah, as soon as that was the model that I sunk into, it started to work. And it, it has had a a remarkably different vibration than anything I've ever done that has a set price attached to it, you know, and I don't, I don't totally know how it, or I don't know at all how it feels to not be me engaging with my work, right? Like to to be a person that's um, a subscriber or or listener or something. Um, But I do know that, that from the inside of this work. Yeah, just I feel a lot more free to to really be in my own curiosity around it. And I think that that as an essence and a vibration is an attractive essence and vibration. I love that. I just have a couple more questions. I mean, listen, I could have a whole Renee interview. I, I mean, I could talk to you for 10 hours, but I wanted to just ask you a couple more questions about yourself and your practice before we moved on to uh, the energetic vibration that is 2021. Yeah. I would love to hear about your thoughts around your intuition astrology practice because I experience you to be a very intuitive person and I have come across a number of I would even say, I don't know that they would call themselves this, but I would say psychics who are astrologers or intuitives who are astrologers. Of course, there are not, you know, there are astrologers 
I mean, we all know that everyone is intuitive and all of that, but I was just wondering if you can sort of outline them or share them. What have been like, has there been a conversation between your intuition and astrology or has your intuition sort of informed some of your astrological embodiment experiences, interpretations? I was wondering if you could sort of speak a little bit to that. Mm, Yeah, thanks. I love that question. I think I have always had a strong intuition. I had a lot of visions as a young child, a lot of stories from my mom about, you know, kind of knowing knowing things were happening at places where I wasn't or um, things like that. And as a really young kid, I have um, a lot of very clear memories of my guides, you know, being pretty surrounded at all times. Um, And I was an only child and my parents were gone a lot. And I had a um, very active community that I was spending time with. Um, And I forgot a lot of that as I, as I got older, but, but I did start to develop my somatic intuition. So like I said, since I was 11, I've been training in some form or another. And I didn't recognize that that training was intuitive training until more recently, Um, But doing all of that work, um, I spent about 12 years mentoring with uh, a woman that had taken the five rhythms map uh, cultivated by Gabrielle Roth. She had had taken that work and developed a whole rites of passage program. Her name is Melissa Michaels. And through studying with her, especially at such a young age, I learned a lot about how emotion manifests in the body. And I also gained a lot of awareness that other energetic forms can take up space in the body and express um, through what we might call, you know, what what, what we might really think is ourselves, but actually it's, you know, some kind of ancestral energy or archetypal energy or elemental energy that's coming through. When I started to to study yoga and anatomy, um, the work of Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, body-mind centering, I developed a really strong somatic intuition. And I definitely believe that we come in with with past life gifts um, or ancestral gifts. Like I said, my mom was an energy worker and a body worker, and I'm definitely part of her lineage. Um, so it was very easy for me to tune in through touch and to um, to cultivate my somatic intuition. And then in my early 20s, when I started to work with astrology uh, more uh, consciously, I don't know how this happened, but the, the closest descriptor I have for it is like it's some sort of synesthesia that when I look at a chart, I get really strong sensation and intuition in my body. And so a lot of the work that I've done around embodied intelligence reads for me in the chart. I honestly don't know how that works, but it it works and it consistently allows me to arrive with relevance and presence with the people that I'm working with to, I think, pretty immediately be able to connect um, with their experience, at least to some extent. Mm. Yeah, recently I've been curious about the space beyond astrology. I think that astrology is a symbolic language. It really helps us to open into the symbolic worlds or realms, which is everything. Um, So it's an incredible doorway there. But I don't know, you know, in the last however many months it's been since the pandemic started, um, spending so much time on Zoom with people has reminded me of um, my first impression of the internet that I had when I was about eight, and we got it in school, which was that it was going to be training wheels for us to remember that we're psychic. 
And this, oh. this feeling of like, um, my friend Suniti talks about the Zoom rooms as like the Bardos, you know, like, like, oh, I can see you there, Sarah, in your room. And like, I see what you're wearing and I see this, the sunlight on your face. Oh, but I can't smell you. I can't touch you, but we can communicate. Yeah. We're here. And the way that this kind of forced isolation, but also wildly connective, you know, etheric realm that has never existed before really in, in human consciousness, you know, the internet and, and all of our tools to access the internet. What that's doing for us, I think on some level is reminding us that we can connect and we can connect through energetic mm. pathways and etheric pathways. Um, and that there's, yeah, electric pathways that, you know, are a lot more subtle than the ground wires holding the internet, you know. So I feel that my intuition works very strongly with astrology and it's definitely the primary way that I access that knowing. Yeah. But also when I'm a when I can tune in with people's bodies, um, I also have a very quick pathway and, and opening into intuition. Um, and I'm curious about what can open as these forms become less and less formal. You know, I think we're both part of a generation of people that has like received strong lineages and teachings. And we're also people who disrupt and dismantle and want to synthesize and uh, find our own ways with things. And so the younger generations are going to continue to do that. And I think we will expand. We're already expanding past these forms. And so many people are cultivating intuition younger and younger and trusting it. Um, yeah, I went on a tangent there, but. <laughs> no, I love that. It's so uh, beautiful. And I, it, it often seems as though a modality that is more esoteric or magical as it were, tends to be sort of a gateway to our intuition. And then we end up sort of um, I know for myself with tarot, tarot was what sort of affirmed that I was psychic. It was a container for it. And mm -hmm. then I expanded outside of it, you know, and also probably similar to you, Renee, the more I expanded outside of it, the more my interpretations of the archetypes morphed, mutated, grew, you know, all of these things. Um, yeah. And so I kind of wanted to just end with the personal Renee questions with one more for you in your practice, which is that one thing I very, very much appreciate about you among the millions of other things I appreciate about you is your interest in evolving astrology outside of, um, let's just say the Roman empire. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping you could kind of speak about unsettling astrology. And mm -hmm. I know, obviously, you're not an expert. And I know, obviously, you're very much in process. And I also know that's something that you've been working on for quite a while. And so I was hoping you could kind of share what your process, like the whys, the whats, um, with with uh, the listeners. Yeah, I, I want to remember the last... Um sentence or, or sentiment that you expressed um, before asking that question, which is that the more that you expand in your own intuitive practice, the more that you can redefine the, the archetypes um, that, that you work with in tarot, for instance. 
Um, I definitely feel that I, I think we enter into our practices, you know, through the channels that we enter in through. And so wherever we're first being introduced and whatever stories we're learning are going to create the ground from which we then travel. Um, so for me, I was introduced to Western astrology or tropical astrology at a very young age. My mom was an astrologer, but she was also uh, anti-colonialist and um, she was also uh, a pretty, you know, rigorous <laughs> feminist. She always taught me to connect with the myths in their essence and their energy and to think critically about what was happening. And so a lot of um, the, the stories that have come up with Western astrology, of course, have come up in a Roman em empire, through the Roman empire, but also through the various mutations of Christianity as it's been an appropriating and colonizing force. And these stories have been used primarily by men and oftentimes for kings or for presidents or for you know people who have power to consolidate their power to even greater effect and the stories are very symbolic in that way you know they prioritize masculinity they prioritize heroism there aren't a lot of feminine figures the feminine figures that do exist are you know, the mom and the wife. And then as we get into some of the asteroids, maybe we have slightly more complex feminine embodiments. And this is really problematic. <laughs> I think it's really problematic for anyone that has a critical lens. So I just feel fortunate that I was raised with a person um, and an approach to this practice who was critical of it. And I think that that's informed a lot of how I look at it. Um, my father was uh, really involved with the American Indian movement when I was a child. He's um, a, a product of the Jewish diaspora and um, the persecution that Jews have faced. And, you know, through through his awareness, too, I really learned to be critical about the story that was being given to me. So with all of that, you know, I think astro is this incredible language and the symbols in astrology are complex, rich symbols that point us to energetic experiences that are human. And so, for example, you know, we might have the energy of the moon, um, which in Western astrology has been painted as a correlation with mother energy or with comfort or nurturing or hunger, something like that. And if you look at a lot of the traditional astrology texts, they'll, you know, the authors will talk about the moon in relationship to a person's mother, to their maternal instincts. Um, to the women in their life or something like that. And you'll get very different interpretations for men and women. And so this is like, you know, classic of some some kind of a practice coming up within a cis, het, monogamous, you know, white supremacist. Yeah, to totally binary interpretation of life. So for me, it just, it feels like natural to think about these energies as energies that everybody is going to embody. You know, for me as a, a person that uh, has ovaries and a vagina, like I don't think I have any less capacity to have a penetrating sexual force than a person that has a penis. And so when I'm going to relate with Mars in my chart, I'm going to be thinking about that, you know, like how, how do I feel my own energy, my own erotic energy, my desire? 
emanating out into the world. And if I'm going to talk with a client about it and, you know, try and and relate with them in their body, then I'm going to do my best to hold what I can of their embodied experience, what I know, you know, through what I see, through what they tell me, through my own intuition. Um, but I want to offer these symbols as generously as I can. You know, I don't, I don't think that they need to be limited and, and really formalized in their meanings. I think that that actually, uh, is an incredible violence, you know, with our intuitions. And, um, I'm sure you've experienced something like this with, with tarot, you know, like when I'm engaging with astro and I get some kind of, you know, I'm reading a book or taking a class and there's some kind of like really fundamentalist interpretation, like this is this and this is what it means. I immediately just want to say, fuck you. (laughs) Because astrology exists all over the world. It's probably, you know, the oldest science and, and observational practice. And people all over the world and through time have had their own stories about these planetary energies. And the more, like you said, the more that I expand in my own awareness, the more I come into actual relationship with the planetary energies, with their mythic embodiments as they make sense to me, the the less I care about what anybody else has said and the more I'm going to trust my own channel. And that consistently works out for me in practice. And I've learned to trust it at this point because I read charts for people, you know, all the time. And I'm constantly looking at something and thinking about the the meaning that I've read somewhere else, but feeling really strongly in my body, some other meaning. And when I speak to what I feel, I'm always way more aligned, you know, than when I speak to what I think. And it's been a, it's been a huge learning for me in, in reading charts. Um, I used to spend a lot of time preparing and like looking at someone's charts and reading about all the symbols and writing down the keywords. And I think it's really helpful for those of us that are interested in this language to do those exercises. But the chart is a is a symbol, you know, and it's a symbol for a living, evolving, complex being that has its own morphogenetic field. And if I, as a intuitive and channel, I'm going to be connecting with that field, I have to be listening to it. I can't be imposing and asserting my own meanings onto it. And that's not to say that I don't come with my own bias and lens because I obviously do. Um, but the the more that I can really feel through my body and, and trust my intuition, the less I am, rest- maybe it's a dangerous thing to say, but I do feel it's true. It's like the less I'm restricted by my bias and lens. It's like I can I can feel more when that comes up of like, oh, this is my mental, you know, or my conditional Uh, assumption about this thing for this person. Like I might get a feeling through their chart that doesn't totally make sense to me and my mental conditioning. And then I have to be curious about it. I have to ask them. I have to open up space, you know, for more listening. So yeah. Okay. So we are going to talk some of the defining astrology of 2021. So the first thing I wanted to talk with you about is that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, Mm -hmm. which is not in 2021, but it is right before it. 
And where it's sort of like, and I and I want to hear you speak more about it, but it's this demarcation like from earth into air. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, the conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn occur every 20 years. Um, astrologers have looked to these conjunctions forever as uh, keepings, markers of time. And within the language of tropical astrology, Jupiter and Saturn are both what are considered to be the social planets. And so their roles are um, what we might see as bridges between our personalities, what are described in the personal placement, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and the transpersonal planets or the collective energies, um, our era, our culture, the things that are going on, you know, in our, in our lives that, you know, huge influence what we're going to do and how we're going to feel and what we're compelled by and engaged in. So Jupiter and Saturn, um, they tell us about how we can grow and how we can grow in our consciousness, how we can grow in our understanding of something. And um, I think the symbolism of Jupiter as a being that promotes understanding and wisdom is a symbol of moving into what's possible, right? Like really a, a kind of benefic quality that everybody has that everybody is capable of of going like there must be some kind of point to all this right like wow life is full of so many ups and downs and so much suffering there there must be some way that i'm supposed to grow and some something that can get better right so that desire to grow and make meaning we could see in the the symbolism of jupiter and with saturn we have the reality of being in reality we live on earth. We live in bodies. Our bodies uh, are temporal. Like we're not going to be here for that long. We are all going to get old and sick and die. We all have to deal with gravity. We all have to deal with the the limits and the constraints of our bodies and how they've been developed. That means our ancestry, our positionality, our access, da da da, and the the limits of you know who we are as as people, and what gets presented to us in our lives, the intense responsibilities that, you know, people are, are faced with that might really influence how they live their lives um, and have nothing to do with how they want to live their lives. Right. So Jupiter is an expanding force and Saturn is a constricting force. And they talk to us about how we are here as social beings and how we, uh, grow in terms of society and also meet the responsibilities um, of society and of being citizens. In 2021, um, Jupiter and Saturn are are entering into a new 200-year cycle as well as a new 20-year cycle. So they come together every 20 years um, because of their orbital periods, their conjunctions Uh, occur within signs of the same element for roughly 200 years. And at either end of that 200-year span, there's a little bit of a wobble um, where we might go back and forth. So there was actually a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in Libra in uh, the early 1980s. And then in 2000, uh, they conjuncted again in, in Earth, in Taurus. And on solstice, December 21st of 2020, they'll conjunct at the first degree of Aquarius. 
And this sets into motion a new world, really, a, a new 200-year cycle, as well as a new 20-year cycle. And um, Aquarius is a sign that describes the human, I think. And, um, you know, all of the air signs in, in astrology are depicted by humans, right? By, uh, by, by lovers, by twins or siblings, um, and by this figure that we see in Aquarius of the water bearer. Um, which is an archetypal energy of knowledge and the ability to see the big picture and see the pattern of something and have objective, compassionate awareness of what's more than just you, right? Like Aquarius speaks to the network, it speaks to the collective, it speaks to the uh, connective whole. And we are really at a time as, as a global body where we either have to recognize our connectivity and wholeness or human beings will you know create our own extinction and there's really not i don't really see much much wiggle room in this at this point you know what has happened with globalization where we are in terms of uh environment and climate and in terms of of social stratification as well as the potentials for cooperation we can have a much better world than we have right now. And a lot of people see it because it's clear, you know, it's, it's like, what could happen if people received a universal basic income and they weren't struggling to meet the basic needs of their families um, and completely taxing themselves and sapping themselves of joy uh, just to make a buck? You know, what would happen if we prioritized happiness instead of um, GDP, you know, in a country. And there, this awareness and this awareness of also the interweaving of all of the isms, you know, that I think really generationally is, is more and more understood at this point that we can't separate capitalism from racism, from misogyny, from, you know, all, all of the the various isms and the destructive forces or or states of mental illness, you know, that these isms embody, they're all part of the same thing. And, and like how they intersect with the earth, the care of the earth, yes. our resources, reality, you know, like when I think about this conjunction or when I think about these outer planets, like in this transition period now, right? Um, from earth into air, like I think about, well, we have to innovate, we have to cooperate. Yeah. Our attention, our focus, our awareness, uh, th that's what's going to become currency. Yeah. Like our energy is what is going to become most important. And also they're going to be challenged and stretched thin, yeah. like at the same time, that's like one of my first takes. And the other thing, as you were speaking, I thought about time travel and I thought about like healing lineages. And I also thought about this idea of Saturn being reality and like what is here now and uh, Jupiter around growth is like, what are we growing with what we have in our own lives, but also like looking around what spaces on the planet are better equipped to uh, become more solar powered so mm -hmm. that then they can share that with other people? What mm -hmm. spaces on the planet, like instead of like, I feel like capitalism, white supremacy has this real pattern of looking outside the self, whether it be for resources to extract like fracking or mm -hmm. like cultural appropriation, you know, like there's this, there's this sort of 
um, disturbing pattern I notice with like the looking outside the self for yeah. something, you know? And so I'm like, well, what would happen if individually we were able to say, okay, here's what I have. Here are my unique gifts. Here's how I think I can contribute. And also collectively, okay, well, here's this, you know, area of the earth that produces a lot of figs or whatever, you know, how mm-hmm. are we going to kind of work with what we have, um, in, in an unoverly extracted way. And then I also think about this idea of, um, permanence and impermanence and how air in this weird way, because it's communication, because it's education, because it's innovation, because it's knowledge, that is what is permanent. And earth in its way as it turns seasonally or as certain things die or thinking, I, I don't know what came, the plastic just came into my mind, you know, like that's, that has to, like, we have to think about permanence and impermanence uh, in our own lives and collectively. And last but not least, um, around this sort of this movement, I also think about this conversation I was having with my partner earlier this week, where we watched the latest David Attenborough documentary and it's devastating. You know, I mean, it's, we must watch it, but it's, you know, it's just, as you were saying, Renee, like we need to save the planet, uh, or else it will go extinct. Um, but anyway, I was like, I feel so powerless because I'm just one person and it's the corporations and it's the institutions and it's the government, which probably leads me to Pluto and Capricorn. So maybe that's a good segue. <laughs> but my partner was like, well, they're made up of people. Mm-hmm. They're made up of individuals. And that feels very Jupiter and Saturn and Aquarius and Pluto and Capricorn. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit about Pluto and Capricorn. Yeah. Um, thanks for all of that. So in 2020, as we're talking today, um, Pluto has been in Capricorn now for about 12 years. Um, it entered the sign in 2008, 2009. And Pluto as an astrological symbol, um, for me really resonates strongly as the unconscious and, um, what, what I could call shadow, what's pushed outside of of the conscious mind. And so that includes all kinds of um, really deep survival-based mechanisms and strategies, as well as all the memories of all of our evolution. Um, And for those of us that are living, then that means that the memories of our evolution are are, um, memories of survival, you know, and, and what we had to do to survive. And people have figured out how to survive. People are incredibly resilient. They can be genius. And survival doesn't come without trauma. And it doesn't come without, you know, some some kind of organization around ego that cuts things out, or at least it hasn't so far. You know, it's like, if you want to survive, you have to be like this. You can't be like that in all of the myriad forms. So when Pluto shows up, I think what we have is arising to the surface of the toxic layers of that sign and of its lineages and everything that is unseen in it. So Capricorn is an energy that is commonly representative of uh, the boss energy, you know, like the, 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 the government, the person in a position of leadership, the CEO. Um, it's a, it's an energy that is associated with structures that are built slowly over time. And so I definitely want to include, um, 
mountain ranges and old growth forests within those structures and to honor the wisdom of the of the earth and its own evolution, as well as the structures that humans have built over centuries, over millennia. Um, and these are structures that are based on survival. They're based on power and dominance when we're thinking about Capricorn. So since 2008, 2009, basically the beginning of you know, the recession at that point in the United States, um, Pluto has been transiting Capricorn. And we have been witnessing uh, a really steady purging. Um, it feels like purging a lot to me or pu pushing to the surface of toxins. And we're seeing... Uh, that happen governmentally. We're also seeing it happen archetypally within populations of people, socio-political populations of people, white women, for example, you know, like there's been a lot of revealing around the toxicity of white femininity in these last um, couple of years, especially since 2016. And that has forced a reckoning and is forcing a reckoning. And Across the spectrum, we're seeing that authority and dominance, as it has been built slowly over time into these structures of control, has a lot of toxicity. And we've all been steeped in that toxicity and we've been trained by it. And one thing that's, you know, that's clearly happening as these layers of toxicity are rising more and more visibly is that there is a desire to purify and to cleanse and repattern. And this isn't happening for everyone, obviously. You know, I think um, the, the polarization uh, is really strong right now in terms of people who are really seeing toxic patterns and people maybe who, who aren't. Um, but a lot of folks are 55%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 55% of something. You know, I, I know that I, I always am curious about the percentages because sure. it, as, oh, yeah. as they're given, it's like, there's never that disclaimer underneath of like 50% of the country didn't vote. You know, they were, weren't old enough. They weren't allowed. They were blocked. They were silenced, whatever, but yeah. yes, but yeah, no, a huge percentage of people. But again, like as these elements are becoming more and more clear, there's also a, a counter process that's happening. And that counter process looks a lot like deep therapy. I think, you know, like deep cultural therapy that is also happening for those of us that are engaging with it on individual levels. And so as we see, you know, for as for example, as I see the toxicity of white femininity and as I'm learning more about the very fraught, very problematic uh, history and lineage of white feminism, the less comfortable I am allowing any of those streams to continue in myself. And so I have to, I have to wrestle with them. I have to look at them. I have to try and uproot them. It's uncomfortable. It's messy. It, it's a deep soul searching and transformational process. And I think that this is what Pluto is representative of. So Pluto is in Capricorn and in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, Saturn and Pluto conjuncted in January of 2020. And Throughout the year, Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto, um, as well as the asteroid Pallas, were working really strongly together in late Capricorn. Um, there have been a number of triggers to that uh, stellium of energies, including Mars and its retrograde over the last several months uh, in square, um, an outer planet called Eris, uh, square with Pluto basically this whole year, um, eclipses the previous years in the Cancer Capricorn axis, and 
yeah, even Mercury's most recent retrograde coming back into Libra, also triggering these points. So there's been a ton of emphasis in 2020 on what I would call like breaking down. And I've been referring to 2020 as a death year and a year of reckoning um, because things are breaking and structures that have have worked to some extent or another um, are not working at all now. And we're really seeing them break. And we're also seeing what happens in that breakage, which is a lot of terror and scrambling and trying to put things back together and maintain the status quo and reinforce um, you know, structures that people are attached to because they benefit from them. But we can also see that these structures are breaking down. And what happens as we move forward, I don't know, but you know, I, I think moving from earth into air, um, we, ha- we do have the opportunity right now, and I think that this is very supported uh, by many astrological factors and many factors that, I don't know, we could name in astrology, but they're just happening. I think we're really supported to, to choose something different, to choose something radically different, but it's going to require a reckoning with the past. And so the place where we are right now, I would say, is, is a tension with what has has happened in the past. And this is Pluto, this transformational energy that will remain in Capricorn for the next couple of years before entering Aquarius, I believe in 25 or 26. If we want to move forward into a, into a different future, into a new future, we're going to have to do it differently. And these these patterns of ownership and extraction and exploitation and the way that people cons- you know seek to consolidate power because of survival and because of i don't know you know all the the twisted behavioral patterns that get built up around survival um that's i think really what humanity has to look at right now because we can move forward into a future that has all kinds of green technologies and uh, mutual aid economies and da da da. But if we don't actually address those tendencies, we're not, we're just going to keep replicating, you know, these destructive systems and we won't last long. <laughs> I don't think we'll last that long. I mean, maybe we'll continue. I don't know. But I think there's enough, you know, there's enough of a global majority at this point that feels that another kind of experience is possible. And that global majority is not, I don't think it includes many of the world leaders who have the most guns or weapons and power. So we'll see. But I do think that there's enough desire and enough consciousness and intelligence to shift something right now. And I think that that's what we're going to see in these next two decades, especially is the struggle to shift into this new paradigm. And that'll look a lot of different ways. It'll look like power to the people, you know, and, and uh, this kind of small scale grassroots organizing, it'll look like youth led movements, it'll look like science, you know, and uh, people really starting to pay attention to what scientists have been saying for a long time when it comes to sustainability in our, our planet. But it, it, it'll also look like um, whatever, you know, corporate greenwashing or big companies jumping in on the transformational justice bandwagon, you know, with campaigns that look good on the outside and maybe don't penetrate so far on the inside. So we have to be vigilant as we move forward into this, into this new age. Um, and we have to be determined. And I think that those are qualities that Aquarius really speaks to as um, a sign of fixed air, you know, I've decided something, you know, I'm, I've got the tenacity 
to stick to my decision. Um, Aquarius's traditional ruler is Saturn. And so when, when we see that there's potential for a new world, in order to move against the inertia and the, the fear of, you know, the past and changing from what's past, like we have to be really committed and really determined. And I think that we are, you know, I, I think that's where we're going. And that next 20 years, um, we will see how we are able to remake our societies and, and what's possible. And then that will set the stage for the next 200 years and what, what's going to happen in, in them in these coming centuries. Yes, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. I keep thinking too about mindsets, like with Aquarius, I keep thinking about like belief systems and the truth and untangling from belief systems. And I keep thinking about like, maybe it's Pluto and Capricorn coming through, but like these big questions of like, why are we doing this? Like mm. what, like there's gotta be a different way. Like, and also Aquarius, like, and also Capricorn, the knowledge and the wisdom to one, like see on a piece of paper, clearly like why this happened. Like we're, we're getting history lessons every day. We're understanding more and more that the present is directly linked to the past. And also the present is where we create the future. So mm -hmm. I feel like there's this, like beautiful bridging energy that can happen because so many people now are aware because of technology and because of uncoverings and because of wanting to know the truth and because of wanting to know why certain systems are set up the way they are and who they benefit, right? And who does not benefit, we're getting, we're privy to more education and more truth than we ever, I mean, at least I ever have been in my short slash long lifetime. And then I also think about, as you were saying, like how these systems have set up space within our own like trauma responses, mindsets, uh, patterns. And like, for me, my big thing for this year, which was, as you said, a death year, it was an emperor death year. Like what parts of my identity are not even my identity? Mm -hmm. What parts of me were learned or were put on me? Honestly, like either just I absorbed it unconsciously or I absorbed the unconscious message that to adhere to this identity would keep me safe yeah. and would keep me surviving and realizing and recognizing that it does not keep me safe. You know, like to quote Audre Lorde, like your silence will not protect you. You know, yeah. it will not keep me safe. They don't care how well I perform white femininity. They still want, they want, you know, they're not thinking of us. They're not caring about any of us actually. Mm -hmm. So like that reckoning, which then leads to liberation, because then last but not least, the only comment I wanted to say with all of this is, you know, I've really consciously, and I haven't implemented it yet. I'm definitely still in the sort of reflection and strategizing and visioning state around it. But I really, really, really want to spend more time creating the world I wish to live in and less time having some kind of trauma response mm -hmm. from these patterns that have been haunting me and so many of us and worse, obviously, because yeah. I'm incredibly privileged, like for millennia. So yeah. I'm really like thinking with this Aquarius energy, we can like 
spend time and energy and effort and dedication to saying, okay, well, what do I want my world to feel like, look like? Who do I want in my world? How am I collaborating with people? How am I linking up with like-minded folks? How am I sharing what I know or my resources or, you know, whatever in order to create this new world? And I think if there's enough of us committed to doing that, as you said, it will make it will create new maps and new blueprints for like, okay, it doesn't have to be this way or we can do it this way or here's what I found out or um, all of these things. I, I wanted to just briefly touch upon the eclipses. Can I say something about what you just said? Please. Before the eclipses. I, I what When you were talking, I was thinking about um, Aquarius and its association that I have through medical astrology and embodied astrology to both the nervous system and fascia. Um, and what feels to me is happening currently in my own life, in every single one of my clients, friends. And then when I kind of look out at the larger, um, collective social experience, the nervous system is the recorder of experience, right? And so I'm not saying that life begins at conception. Life has already begun. But from the beginning of some kind of cohesive identity, there is a nervous system, there is memory, And there are patterns being set into place. And Aquarius points to those patterns, you know, whatever, some people will call them some scaras, you know, like these fundamental building blocks of memory that allow biology to continue to allow evolution, um, but also that define us in many ways. And so this concept of fixed air, fixed thought that Aquarius is, is also the cohesion of some kind of nervous system pattern or the fascial pattern. You know, it's how something builds and then holds its shape. And with everything that you are saying about needing to look back at history and, and untangle ourselves from it, this is, um, you know, this is CBT. This is like basic, therapy, right? Is like, we want to go, whoa, I learned to be this way, you know, as, as societies, like we learned to be these ways, because this is what was shown to us. This is the pattern that was already in place. But that doesn't mean we have to be those ways. We have choice. And finding our own pathways to choice is going to be different for everybody. It's going to be different for every group or, or society or something. But I think that that's what we're doing right now. And um, in 2021, especially as Jupiter and Saturn square Uranus throughout the year, um, to me, that that feels like repatterning or the potential for it. I mean, it has a lot of potentials that are Not a lot of things. Not yeah, kind of scary. <laughs> but I don't know. Repatterning can happen in trauma, too. So um, hopefully it won't go that direction. But I do think that there is a lot of potential right now for people to be doing very conscious and literally like nervous system and fascial repatterning, learning to hold their bodies differently, learning to recognize, you know, bias when it comes up. All this work that that is coming into the collective right now around uh, unconscious bias, you know, that racism exists as a somatic state, as a body state. When we understand it like that, we have a lot more choice actually about becoming conscious and being able to work with it. And it leaves the realm of the theoretical and becomes something that we can engage with um, through practice. So I think that that is really coming up this year. And 
that's a good segue into the eclipses if that feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to say one thing as you were speaking, I thought of, you know, the old spiritual new age adage, which isn't always true by the way, but thoughts become things. And so Mm -hmm. thinking about that connection between the visions we're holding or the mindset or the, or the belief systems we have and how that relates to our nervous system. And I also think that there's this there can be this like beautiful opportunity for holding the vision in the sense of, I think a lot of folks can sometimes get dejected easily by not having tangible proof that something is sort of changing. And so I think that by calling in the prioritization of our vision and our imaginations, our intuition, and holding that or figuring out containers for that, you know, like psychic containers or time-space containers for that can help us to keep going um, mm-hmm. instead of getting dejected that, oh, this, it's been one week or something. Like right. we all know those of us who've done nervous system repatterning or therapy or even intuitive work, the first time you talk to your guides, like in general, you're not going to hear something. Like it takes time to kind yeah. of uh, sink into that. So I think I, that just came up as you were, yeah. you were talking and I, and I love that, but yeah, let's just do some eclipse talk and then we'll um, wrap this relatively epic conversation up. So we have some eclipses, Renee. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So eclipses happen when the sun, earth, and moon are set up in relationship uh, with each other in specific ways that cast shadows, Um, either the shadow of, of the moon coming through the sun's illumination onto earth as we might have at a solar eclipse or the shadow of the earth passing between the sun and the moon as we might have at a lunar eclipse. Um, and these are visual markers of shadow, right? Like of, of something becoming obscured and also revealed. Um, and the symbolism of the sun and the moon is really profound. There are luminaries and our, our sources of time and memory, if we think about the moon and season and life, of course, with the sun. So eclipses are uh, energetically really powerful times, really profound times. And I know you've done a lot of work around eclipses with, um, you know, your own understanding of them. And for me, like I understand that eclipses are times when basically some kind of different perspective is brought forward in a remarkable way. And so this metaphor of like a shadow passing over something which allows a different kind of seeing to happen like being able to witness that full solar eclipse a couple of years ago was awesome like you you know you get to see something that you never get to see you get to stare at the sun you get to you know see this eminence of the solar uh winds that like you don't get to see that (laughs) you know every day and i think that what eclipses can do is really bring into consciousness, something that has been trying to come into consciousness. And within the way that, that astrology kind of holds eclipses, um, there is the idea of karma and the effects of the past creating the conditions of the present. And then of course, the present becoming the future. So when we have eclipses, we have the idea of, of something basically 
coming due. You know, the the karma is ripe. They're in Gem and Sag. Yeah. So eclipses in 2021 will be in Gemini and Sagittarius seasons. And the south node, um, the, the kind of descending node of the moon is in Sagittarius and the north node is in Gemini. And so this um, symbolism is that karma is moving towards Gemini and arising from and also departing from Sagittarius. Um, the relationship between Sagittarius and Gemini is a relationship of knowledge and understanding. In the sign of Gemini, we find a, a lot of information also about the nervous system, about our immediate environments and how we learn, how we learn our learning function, um, our mental function, our communicative function, our curiosity function, and our function to share information and share small pieces of information. Um, with Sagittarius, we have uh, kind of like big picture understanding, the ability to synthesize a lot of pieces of information into one kind of cohesive whole to find meaning uh, in all of this data and to ask big questions. Um, so with the South Node and Sag, uh, a, a number of things come up for me. Um, one that we can already see playing out is that Sagittarius um, is a sign that's commonly associated to journalism and uh, again, meaning making or truth telling. Um, so people who get to synthesize information and then deliver it. With Gemini Sagittarius eclipses, as we move into them, um, there is a huge striation in the news, right? Like what people think is real. And there's a, a really big split. Reality, Aquarius, Saturn, Jupiter, like I love how they're kind of all working together, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there are different realities that are happening, right? And it's very um, remarkable right now to just read the news and to be like, oh my God, you know, not, not everybody is getting the same information at all. And there's no, there's not much agreement around what is real and, and what is not. And um, dictators and fascists will use media uh, to control people's minds. And I think we are probably going to go into the next couple of years of a real um, ideological war. And uh, not that we're not in it already, but it will be amplified. And that South Node in Sag is bringing a lot of fundamentalism forward. And it's also illuminating a lot of belief systems that we might want to disentangle from historic belief systems, cultural belief systems, as well as personal belief systems, core beliefs, etc. And how do we disentangle? Um, we get curious, we pay attention to different things, we develop new learning pathways, and we talk to each other. And, you know, we, we gain different perspective. And I think that Gemini and all of the air signs, including Libra and Aquarius, um, promote multiplicity and variety and diversity. And it's like, there are a lot of different, you know, ideas about what's happening. And, how can we hold them? You know, how can, how can we affirm people's experiences um, and and stop trying to impose upon one another? We have to get curious. And I and as we head into 2021, you know, and who knows what's going to happen in the political landscape, but it is clear, I think, that th there is a huge movement right now to shift electoral politics and leadership when it comes to like s systems leadership and governance, there's a really big need to shift um, and to, 
to really have governance of the people for the people by the people. And the, the younger, more progressive um, members of the Democratic Party are really calling for that. And I think that there's a lot of potential in that as we move into these next couple of years for people to talk to each other and find common ground. And it doesn't have to be the same ground, but it there's some, there's commonality that we can find. And when we get curious about other people's experiences, we can learn a lot about our own. And when we get curious about you know, how to care for one another, the world opens up in really different ways. And a lot of possibilities become uh, immediate that seems totally impossible before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people want to go, for sure. Um, and Gemini and Sagittarius eclipses with the North Node in Gemini require all of us to let go of the idea of being anybody special, you know, and to really recognize that we are we're all siblings, you know, we're, we're here as members in a large family. Um, we're here not as individuals, but as uh, multiplicities and collections of energy and, you know, sing single cells within larger bodies. I think that's where we can go right now. I think that's some of the potential of these eclipses. I think about generosity and myth-making and storytelling and healing and um, like reaching and connecting to the wild and or othered parts of the self in order to heal and to step forward into more of a totality. I think of like personal constellations and collective constellations, although I'm not in love with the word collective anymore. But I also think that there's sort of this my experience of Sagittarian and Gemini energy, I love both those energies a lot. I think of this like radical truth that mm. shakes done with a flare, like mm. that shakes things up. Like I think of like, I don't know if he was a Gemini, but I think of like Oscar Wilde or I think mm -hmm. of these like this like irreverent, um, joyful delivery of almost shocking, yeah. but true, like true or different perspectives or ways of being. And I think of this lightness that I think, or at least this levity or humor that I think this time really needs. Yeah. So I'm interested in calling in all of that in small moments and in large moments. And I'm hoping that for me and for my friends and my loved ones and greater humanity, we can utilize some of that energy to propel us into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a different paradigm or to uh, create different paradigms or join with those who are, have already been creating new paradigms for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes to all that. So how are you going to prepare? How are you going to prepare for 2021? Um, that's a great question. I have a couple different ideas about that. Um, I am preparing my emergency kits. Um, 2021 has hard aspects, um, squares between Jupiter and Saturn and um, in Aquarius and Uranus and Taurus. As we saw in 2020, uh, extreme weather and quote unquote natural disasters um, are on 
an increase. And I don't think that's going to change in 2021. So as a person who lives, you know, um, a fairly coastal location in a place that is supposed to have an earthquake one of these days, like I want to be prepared for that. Um, I also want to be prepared for the ideological battles that are happening and will continue to happen and the backlash um, that will continue to happen and probably amplify next year. Now, beyond that, you know, as, as kind of um, as not exciting and practical as that may be, um, I am preparing by really thinking about my my business and the work that I'm doing in the world. Um, I am a person that is has been um, work obsessed and like a workaholic, I would say, or addicted to my work. And um, I'm trying to create more space in my life right now and to really question productivity. And I, I create a lot of content and I think I can create less. Open up space for, for other people, for sure, or just not take up as much space, but also open up more space in my own life. I think there's, you know, electoral politics is such a a small piece of what we need to do. And um, I want to get more involved in my community. I want to volunteer my time. I want to learn. I want to engage with people who are different than me that are outside of my bubble. And I know that I need time and space for that. And I also know that I, I'm an artist and I've always identified as an artist. And as we move into this, this new period, this new era, I feel for me, and I think that this is true in a larger sense, like, I want to be less focused on ideas of capitalist achievement and ambition, and more focused on what I feel like really brings me joy. And, uh, you know, I, I like creative writing and learning about fashion design with my niece and uh, taking hikes and making plays with people. And I want more time and space for that. So I am preparing for 2021 literally by like preparing to open my schedule a lot by, you know, moving into the next year of embodied astrology content work as a batch, which I've never done before. Like I'm, I'm starting a, a 2021 cohort um, rather than thinking about monthly production. I'm going to start to think about yearly production, which makes it easier for me. It means less time every month that I need to be working on production um, and more invitation for community and um, co-authorship of this work, which I, which I really want and I'm inviting in. I love that. Renee, where can, where can folks find you? Uh, share everywhere uh, you feel inclined to connect. Um, folks can find me at embodiedastrology.com. That's my website. And um, I have once a month, twice a month uh, online gatherings. I have a, a by donation subscription, as well as free uh, month ahead horoscopes and astrology writing. So people can find all of that there. Folks can follow me at embodied astrology on Instagram. I like Instagram as a place for creative ideation and kind of journaling practice um, and share a lot on there and kind of work more with direct engagement through Instagram Live and things like that. Like I mentioned, I'm going to be starting this new cohort. It's actually beginning on the solstice on December 21st. And this is a new approach for me in my work. I'm kind of changing the, the back end structure of embodied astrology to um, become more of a community space. And I'll be offering um, kind of month ahead and then mid-month gathering spaces for people to 
come learn together and work with embodying astrology. And in that, I hope to do less interpreting and telling people what something is or what I think it is and more uh, embodied praxis and, um, and conversation. And so if people want to get involved with that, they can find that information at uh, embodiedastrology.com. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. You're amazing. Thank you so much. You're brilliant. And I hope all of you uh, give Renee's podcast a listen and subscribe to all of Renee's offerings. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much, Sarah. It is a pleasure knowing you and talking with you. Really appreciate this opportunity. I wasn't lying, right? This was a lot of great info. If there ever was really a time to sit down with a journal and sort of think about some themes and some plans for the next year, it's now, yeah? So you can catch Renee on embodiedastrology.com. I will put all of the links in the show notes. If you need more support throughout the year, Renee is here for you. We were laughing that we would have needed uh, like hours and hours more to make it through the rest of the astrology or in, or the major astrology of 2021. So we really did just get into just a few of the bigger transits and themes. So uh, hopefully that's enough to wet your whistle and get you sort of just thinking about next year and beyond. And if you want to pick up a planner that has all of this info marked so you know the dates, so you can get really ready <laughs> on all of the levels, then I'll put the link there in the show notes as well. I am sending all of you so much love. I am sending all of you so much sweetness, so much softness, and I will be here next week with another episode. Until then, babes. Bye. You are listening to Moonbeaming, a podcast that is presented by Modern Women. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner. The editor is Caitlin George Parker. Music is by Will Owen and myself. If you like what you hear or it's giving you benefit, I would love it if you would rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I'd love it even more if you told a friend or two. All right. Bye. Which is brewing in the kitchen? Which is dreaming in the dark? Which is sad?